Good morning. Can you? Yeah, you can hear me. Uh, good, good to see you this morning. It's always a blessing to spend the Lord's Day with you. I loved Brenton, and I, I loved your testimony. I just loved your testimony. Thank you for it. I, uh, uh, when we got married, uh, well, maybe I should say it like this. Uh, I have a brother who's 10 years younger than me. And uh, because of my mother's physical and emotional, mental illness, uh, I, in large part, raised my brother. And when we got married, I had decided that I was out of the child raising business, that I had done that and uh, wasn't going to continue doing it. And so uh, I, I, it's almost terrible to say, but I was just the opposite. I didn't want any children. And, and uh, Marsha wanted three, so we had Chuck, Kyle, and Chris. <laughs> and I am so thankful. They are just the delight of my, my life. But um, I just marvel at uh, your testimony and how the Lord has been faithful in it. Today we are considering the life of a prophet. And the prophet's name is Daniel. Daniel is one of the better known prophets. And uh, let's turn to his book, the book of Daniel, chapter number one. Uh, these messages trying to capture the essence of, of a person, uh, well, it's hard to do. I mean, you can't do it in a, a few minutes, really capture the essence of who a person is. But we can work at it, and let's do that. Uh, you know, we are all in danger all of us are. There is a conspiracy. I know I'm sounding paranoid, but I'm not. I really, I am not. Uh, there is a conspiracy, and the results of that danger, that conspiracy, could be catastrophic, has been catastrophic in many people's lives. Let's let Daniel tell us about it. And help us with it. There is a corruptive element that is found in every society. Uh, it was easily seen in Rome, but it can be seen in culture after culture after culture. Uh, someone called it terminal decadence. I think that term is a good one. It can be heard in popular music, it can be, uh, be watched on a variety of entertainment, especially television and uh, commercials and uh, uh, movies. Uh, it, it's very evident in, in those experiences. Uh, it is seen in materialism and self-indulgence and uh, drugs and alcohol. Again, society after society turning this way. Uh, the appreciation, the total acceptance. I, I know I'm gonna make some people angry here and that is not my goal. It is to simply tell the truth as far as God's word says it's true. Uh, in these societies, we see the 
growing acceptance of homosexuality and the neutralizing of gender. And often nations do not uh, rise out of that terminal decadence. Well, Judah was a nation that was under, uh, I, I mean, it was, it was in decay, a free fall, if you would. The people who lived there, the Israelites who lived in there, uh, continued in their rampant sin. And God warned them about the sin. They continued in the sin. God warned them about the sin. God brought consequences into their sin. They ignored the consequences. They ignored God until finally God withdrew his protection and God sent in, I do believe it was God who sent in the Babylonians. And Jerusalem fell. It was the year 586 B.C. And uh, there were three resulting deportations. Let's read about it. It's Daniel 1.1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. This was somewhere in May, maybe June of the year 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, came to Jerusalem and after a long period of time besieged it and then 650 years after Joshua had first stepped foot in the promised land, they have now collapsed as a nation and many are being deported to Babylon. It says this in verse number three. Then the king, uh, I want you to go back to verse one, just a second. I, I'm not sure I made the point here. Uh, in the third year of the reign of Je Jehoiakim, please don't miss that point. Uh, this was an evil leader. When there is evil in national leadership, when it is predominant in national leadership, a nation will crumble, and that's what's happening here. Uh, verse number three, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, to bring some of the people of, of Israel, both the royal families and of the nobility, used without blemish, a good, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. All right, this is what we call today human trafficking. It's slavery. What we have here is young people being ripped from their parents' arms and being taken from the only culture that they have known and the worship of their God. And they were deported 800 miles east to what was then called Babylon and today is called Iraq. And then, after this deportation, these young people were put into extensive and exclusive education. And this education 
covered the Chaldean language, it uh, covered history, culture, as well as math and science, and the goal of all of this was to create a person who could serve well in the king's court. Verse number five, the king assigned them, uh, here, are his, here are his attempts at conditioning of these young people. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. And Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. All right, we see two ways in which they are being conditioned. First of all, they were given the king's own food, which was only the very best food. Now, you might ask why that was. Well, it was to break them of their dietary habits that were part of, her, of their faith. The Old Testament gave strict diet uh, parameters for uh, their people, and we call it kosher, and the food that they were served was not kosher. And so what they were doing, if they ate that food, is that they were compromising their faith. And the danger here was indoctrination, the loss of their values, the loss of their faith, the loss of their morals. It's kind of like a young Christian person going from high school, going to college, and in college, they begin to experience things that they've never experienced before. There is uh, uh, radical liberalism, not from every professor, but many, and sexual promiscuity, and drugs and alcohol, use and abuse, and other excesses. And while they are being exposed to this among their leaders and by their peers, many of them are assimilated into the culture itself. And that assimilation brings about identification with the values of that culture. Or there's a Christian woman who goes to work for a corporation, and she does very well, and rises in rank, stature, as well as her salary increases more and more. She experiences more and more things that are new to her, and all of that is wonderful, but with, with it comes an invitation to compromise. Compromise values, because she's asked to do things that she knows are not biblical and her morals as well. She is being assimilated into the culture. Uh, it happens in schools. It happens 
at, uh, at work, in sports. It, it can happen in every aspect of our lives. Nothing is, is left out, unfortunately. And that is what was happening to Daniel. Daniel was in the process of being exposed to an effort to assimilate him and his friends into this foreign culture. Now, not only was food and drink used, but also the king changes their names. And that was significant. Daniel means God is my judge. And his name was changed to Belshazzar, which means one of, one of the pagan gods, Bel. It was Bel protect the king. And Hananiah, whose name means the Lord is gracious, was changed to Shadrach, which means the commander of Marduk's army. And this is another uh, idol of that society. Mishael, whose name means who's like the Lord, and it was changed to Meshach, and that is who is like Marduk. Azariah, whose name means the Lord is my helper, was changed to Abednego, which means servant of still another cult, and that was Nebo. And so what we see here is the names of all of these young people are being changed. Their names that had special spiritual reminders in them were changed to fit the new culture and the new spiritual atmosphere that they were being placed into. And so that's why it is to promote uh, their compromise the compromise of their faith, their values, their worldview. Now imagine how Daniel felt. He's probably only 14 or 15 years of age at this point. Imagine this teenager ripped from his parents' arms, taken from his culture, and exposed to a whole new level of temptation that he's never seen before. The amazing thing to me is that this teenager recognized what was going on. And not only did he recognize it, but he rejected it. You see, he believed this. He believed that he may have had to live in Babylon. But Babylon did not have to live in him. You have to live in this world but you don't have to allow the world to live in you. Now, Daniel 1.8, let's just read that. It says, and Daniel resolved. The word resolved here, by the way, in Hebrew, uh, the word is talking about to commit, but it's not just commit to something, anything. It's committing your circumstances to the Lord for the Lord's power to live through them, to empower you through them. So, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And then, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. It's obvious what's happening here. 
They're asking for their immediate supervisor to withhold the food and to do something else. And it says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This is a miracle right here. He, this, this captain is going to violate the direct instructions of the king. God gave him favor. Did that make any sense for this man? No, not at all. But that's the way God works. As we are making our commitments to the Lord, to his values, to a biblical worldview around us, we can expect resistance, but we can also expect God's presence. Verse number 11. And Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables, probably the word beans is best here, given beans to eat and water to drink, eating nothing but beans for 10 days. I'm going to let your minds just go with that. <laughs> Verse number 14. And so he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. So uh, it's obvious what's happening here, but the steward takes the food away, the fine food, the fine drink, and substitutes beans and water in their presence. And then he goes away for 10 days. When he comes back, verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. They refer reference here to fatter in flesh was supposed to be a positive one. Okay, uh, so the steward took away their food and their wine. Uh, they were to drink, or the food that they were going to eat, and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables as for these four ewes. God gave them learning and skill and in. Uh, all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding of visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Belshazzar. This is really a life and death kind of situation for them. If they're not useful, they'll be done away with. Well, at the end of these 10 days, Daniel and his friends were healthier and more well-prepared than other young people that were their peers. And so the servant let the four of them come before the king and to be examined by him. Verse number 19 says, and the king spoke to them and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters. These would be uh, the 
the advisors to the king, uh, musicians and encanters, and all who were in his kingdom. And so we see this miracle unfolding. We see a young person who recognizes what is going on and chooses something to do about it. I've known far more Christians who understand what is going on in the culture around us. Far more Christians who understand the culture than who are willing to do something about it or to protect themselves from it. We live in a very strange time. Uh, Yesterday, I think it was, this came to to, uh, the news, uh, uh, a document of a working group from the uh, Colorado State University came out. And so in their desire to not, uh, to be tolerant of all people, in all situations, in all circumstances, they are going to change our vocabulary, kind of like changing the names. Uh, we're not to use the term American or America anymore. Uh, we are, let's, let's see. Uh, you're not to use the word straight. You're u- to use the word heterosexual. But then listen to this. You're not to use the word homosexual now, we are to use heterosexual, but we're not to use homosexual. We're to use gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, uh, and so on. You see the theme here. It's the promotion of uh, gender identity that is unbiblical. And so, I mean, we could just go through this. We're not to use male and female anymore. Uh, we are to use man, woman, or gender non-binary. I don't know what that is. Uh, We're not to use Mr., Mrs., or Ms. anymore. We're to use the term MX, mix. So, uh, I mean, does that sound bizarre? It does sound bizarre. It does sound bizarre. But you see, that's what's happening in our society. I was watching some television recently, and uh, there came uh, on a, uh, uh, it was commercial for a drug company, and they were clear in their portraying of the child involved had two fathers, no mothers. Even in commercials, we see this. So what do we do? You're being exposed constantly to compromise, the call to compromise, and the recognition that the world is intolerant of our intolerance. You see, we as Christians believe that there is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. No one comes to the Father but by me. There are not many roads to God. Only one, by Jesus. Does that seem intolerant? Yes, it does. What is a tolerant world going to do with that? They're going to be intolerant. Do you see how that works? Uh, How do we apply 
these facts, these truths about the life of Daniel. Well, some things, sometimes, uh, very disappointing things happen to very godly people. There was no indication that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo had anything other than godly parents and a godly upbringing. But their nation fell around them anyway. We should understand that in the course of events in our lives. But nevertheless, we must understand that following the Lord is not a guarantee that life will be easy for you. It means that God will be with you eternally. Uh, Also, during times of disappointment, faithfulness is essential. Perhaps you're in one of those times. You refuse to compromise with what the world had to say. Maybe refused a direct order at your work that would have required compromise of your faith. Uh, That means you are invited by God to remain faithful to him. You're invited to be faithful in your neighborhood, in your child rearing, in your education. Be faithful to what God says, not the current values of our world, which are going to be changing more and more. Uh, Also, don't take the easy way out. Following Christ is to be distinctive, not arrogant, but distinctive. And uh, so we're called not to accept the indoctrination of our world and not to accept the assimilation that's being, that we're being exposed to and not accepting the confusion that makes up the world in which we live. God calls on you to believe Scripture and believe that there is, that, that there's absolute truth that's true for you and is true for me. And this all flies in the face of what's being taught and practiced today. Look at your own life. Look at your own life from God's point of view. Now, that's revolutionary when you practice that discipline. Look at your own life from God's point of view. You're not somehow a a ship adrift in the sea. He's with you. The temptations you're facing have been and are going to be faced by others, and God will be faithful and not allowing you to be tempted above that which you're able. But will with the temptation provide a means of escape? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And so that's his, that's his faithfulness uh, to you. It's his promise to you. Uh, also, trust God in the midst of the crisis. This is one of the most difficult things we do When we are in a crisis, 
whether that is a cultural crisis or any other kind of crisis. When we are involved in some kind of crisis, some kind of faith testing trial, we are tempted with the word why. The word why should not be our question. It is what is God doing and how will he work in it? Not why is it happening. Because we'll never understand that. And then you'll be amazed at what God can do if you will be faithful to him. You'll be amazed at what God can do if you remain faithful to him. I think that this is one of the most difficult times in recent history to be a Christian. I do not think it's going to get any easier at all, not in our lifetime. And so what we are called on to do is to believe that there is absolute truth, that God is the giver of absolute truth, that the values that he espouses and the morals that he requires are indeed legitimate and true and for you and for me in this day that we live. In other words, to be exposed to the world and not let the world in you. I have not mentioned it today, but I got to. And that is the ultimate danger that we face is a failure to commit our lives to belief in Christ. The writer of Hebrew writes a, a, a question, and it is indeed the unanswerable question. I don't know how many questions in our world are actually unanswerable. This is one that is absolutely un, uh, unanswerable. And this is the question. What shall you do if you neglect so great a salvation? The answer is unanswerable because there is no answer. There is nothing you can do. But while you're alive, while you're here, you can make the choice to turn from the life that you have lived, trying to be in charge of your own life, and you can turn by faith to believe in Christ, that he died on the cross for you. If God is calling you to salvation, he will put that in your heart. And understand that desire for you to know God is from him and him alone. It is not from you. And so our prayer today is that indeed you'll make that choice. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful and thankful for the way that you blessed Daniel and the testimony that he gives to us. Father, I just scratched the surface in the commitments that he made in the way that you moved. Give us courage, Lord, today to live as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.